Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Good to see you this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 6, to that passage we just read. Luke chapter 6. Uh, well, Happy New Year to you. I uh, hope you had a good New Year, good Christmas. Uh, ours was really fun. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, our two-year-old daughter, Nora, and one of my favorite things to happen over Christmas break, uh, she discovered Fruit Loops for the first time, which in my humble opinion, is the best cereal that was ever created. Um, so I introduced her to it. Uh, but maybe my favorite thing about it was uh, she, the consonants are hard. Words with a lot of consonants in them are difficult for a two-year-old. Uh, and so she didn't call them Fruit Loops. She called them Shroot Boops, which I hope she never learns how to say it correctly, personally. I just hope she says that just like 16-year-old Nora calling them Shroot Boops. I think that would be hilarious. Um, the other thing that happened that was quite exciting, uh, to say the least, was uh, we stayed at my in-law's house um, for about a week. And while we were there, uh, the I'm probably not going to say this right, but the sewage extraction pump in the downstairs of the house stopped working, which is exciting, you know? Um, And so most people prefer their sewage outside of the house, and when that's broken, it can't be outside of the house. And so uh, at the very last day, the very last day we were there, I was actually gonna help my father-in-law replace all of this plumbing and the sewage extraction pump. So it was like, you know, we were just wearing clothes that we didn't care about ever seeing again. Um, And at the very last minute, the last evening we were there, right before we started working on it, uh, we realized that we had the wrong part. And so I had to leave town without helping my father-in-law fix a sewage pump. And that was the best Christmas present that (laughs) I could have ever asked for. I just didn't know that I needed it, you know? But it was, uh, it was an exciting break, to say the least. Ended up fine, everybody without incident for the most part, uh, but it was an exciting break, to say the least. Hope you had a good break. Um, if you didn't know, we took last week off. It's kind of our, our regular week off that we take uh, every single year. So if you were here uh, last Sunday just staring at a locked door, sorry about that. Uh, but we were not here. We took the week off. Uh, but we are back this Sunday, and I am excited Uh, to start into a new series, which is actually a series that we do every single year called Formation. Um, And it's a series really all about the idea of spiritual formation, if you've ever heard that language before, uh, which is just a fancy way of talking about the art and science of how we change as human beings and specifically as followers of Jesus. Uh, What we want to ask is how do we actually become transformed into the types of people that God designed us to be all along? I I think it's so important to remember that when we become followers of Jesus, we are not just signing up for a change of destination after we die. 
Rather, we are signing up for a lifelong process of being formed and transformed more and more into the image of Jesus over time. And that's what this series is meant meant to address, at least in part, is how does that process of formation actually happen? How does that occur in us over time? How do we become more and more like Jesus? Or, to put it even more broadly, how do we change as human beings? That's the question we're trying to answer. How do we change? And I think that idea, how we change as human beings, is really something that nearly all of us are interested in in some way, shape, or form, especially this time of year, right? So it's January 2nd, which means that most of us are probably killing it on our New Year's resolutions right now, right? Just absolutely destroying it. Uh, if, it's, if you're 24 hours in and it's already not going well, I don't know, maybe resolutions aren't for you, you know? Like maybe just try something else next year. But uh, this is the time of the year that we think a lot about this stuff, right? How do we change? This time of year, we we start to zero in on the things that we most want to change about ourselves. Maybe we want to be healthier, we want better eating habits. Maybe we want to get a better handle on our schedule or find a new hobby of some sort. Maybe we want to get a better handle on our mental health in some way, shape, or form, or any variety of different things. But this is the time of year that a lot of people tend to focus on change. What do I want to change about myself, about who I am? What about me do I want to be different, and how do I get there exactly? You know, I find it interesting that for all of our society's talk about just being ourselves and just being true to ourselves, there's another very real side of most of us that doesn't want to just be ourselves at all. We want to be newer, better, healthier versions of ourselves, right? We want to change. But I think there's a dark side to all of this too. Because as much as we might want to change as human beings, many of us don't feel very good at changing. Right? Like, can we be honest about that? I mean, how many of us are ready to stand up and go, yep, every single year I successfully complete every single one of my New Year's resolutions. I perfectly executed them exactly the way that I saw it happening. I am a completely different person in all the ways I had hoped at the end of this year. My guess is that not many of us are in that place. Now, maybe there's a few of us, and if so, teach me your ways. I would love to learn from you in that. But I would imagine that's not where most of us are at. That's not the bulk of us. The bulk of us often really struggle with implementing change into our lives and our character. And I think sometimes that frustration is just a microcosm of a, of a deeper sort of spiritual frustration that a lot of us feel as well, which is that many of us don't feel like we're changing to become more like Jesus very much. Some of us don't really feel like we're getting much of anywhere with that process either. Maybe in our best moments, we see little glimpses of growth, but then there's a very real part of us that looks at our worst moments, our biggest failures, our most significant struggles, and we feel like it's a real one step forward, two steps back type of situation. When everything hits the fan in life and life exposes the deepest, ugliest parts of us, sometimes I think a lot of us are very underwhelmed and discouraged at what comes out in those moments. I've shared this before, but for as long as I can remember, 
I have struggled tremendously with a tendency towards bitterness and resentment, towards things, towards people, all of that. Uh, I've told you guys this before, but I am an Enneagram One, if you know what that is, which is basically a perfectionist. They don't call it that, but it is that. Um, and, and, and I don't know if you've looked around our world lately, but there's some things that are just a hair shy of perfect around us. Uh, and so that in me tends to lead to a lot of frustration, a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness. Sometimes it's at people directly and sometimes it's just at situations. And there's some ways where I feel like over the course of the past, I don't know, 15 years of following Jesus, I feel like I've seen some growth in that area of my life. I feel like I've grown some in my ability to deal with some of that before it comes out and before it hurts other people. But then there's other times, in fact, a lot of times, where I'm in the thick of it and I just think to myself, why do I still struggle with this? Why doesn't it feel like this part of me is changing very much over time? And when am I going to grow out of all of this? I don't know if you've ever had that type of experience as a follower of Jesus, but that's what we're talking about in this series. That's the tension that we're trying to get at in this series is how we actually change as human beings. So this all brings us back to the question, the very important question, I think, which is how do we actually change? How do we change as human beings and as followers of Jesus? How do we become more like Jesus over time? How do we participate in long-lasting, meaningful transformation in our lives in such a way that in those moments, in those horrible, worst possible moments I just talked about, how do we get to where what comes out in those moments is actually something that looks a little more like Jesus? and something that looks more and more like Jesus as time goes on. That's the question I want to try to answer this morning. And that is a big part of what Jesus actually gets at in Luke chapter six. So take a look with me there. Luke chapter six, starting in verse 47. This is Jesus speaking, he says this. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus tells us a story that illustrates two different ways of responding to his teaching about life and reality. The story is about two different men that each build a house. Now the first man digs deep and he builds his house on the rock, a very stable foundation. And because he did that, when the flood came, no matter how hard the water beat against the house, the house stayed put. It had a strong foundation under it. But the second man in the second house was a completely different story from the first. That man didn't do the work of digging down to the rock. Instead, he just set his house on top of shifting ground. Another translation of this verse says that he built his house on sand. So when the flood hit it, the ground eroded and the house fell. 
So these two men and their respective houses are meant to represent two different responses to the teachings of Jesus. One man heard Jesus' words and was ultimately changed into an altogether different type of person as a result of it, while the other man simply heard Jesus' teaching and remained unchanged by it. And what does Jesus say in the passage is the difference between the two responses? Anybody see it? What's the difference between the two responses? Putting it into practice. That's what distinguishes the changed person in the story from the unchanged person. Practice. Jesus says that the house that made it through the storm was the man who heard Jesus' words and put them into practice. The house that didn't make it through the storm was the man who heard Jesus' words and did not put them into practice. The difference is practice. So I want to point out here, as I do most every year when we cover this passage in this series, that the difference between these two men was not a matter of knowledge. Do you see that? Jesus says plainly in the passage that both people heard the same thing. Both people heard the same information. They both ingested the same information. They were both aware of the exact same ideas from Jesus. That is so important for us to see. I think especially here in the Bible Belt in the South, it's so important for us to see because I think sometimes, especially within Southern Christianity, we can make it seem like knowledge is what matters most. We can make it seem as if being a follower of Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus is simply about being able to recite a set of facts about God and or the Bible. Now, hear me, facts are important when it comes to following Jesus. Absolutely they are. Some people try to follow Jesus without knowing much information about Jesus, and that doesn't go well either. Facts and information do matter. A a big part of my job here on Sundays is literally to stand up here and teach you information about God. So it should go without saying, I'm a big fan of information about God. I think that's important. But, and this is what Jesus is getting at here in this passage, facts about God will not change you as a human being. The author of James in the New Testament actually makes this point by saying, hey, you you believe that God is one? Great, the demons believe that. And I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that the demons are probably not becoming more like Jesus currently. So knowledge alone cannot change you. Information alone will not lead to transformation in your life. If you want to be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus, you will need more than just facts about God. You will need practice. And that phrase Jesus uses in this passage, puts them into practice, is pretty much exactly what it sounds like in English. It implies intentional, proactive, and especially repetitive action in your life. Becoming like Jesus is not just about what you know, and it's not even just about what you do once. It's about what you choose to do over and over and over again. That is what creates change in your life. That is what forms your character over time. That is what makes you more and more like Jesus as you follow him. Not just what you know, but what you know and put into practice. 
To put it another way, maybe in language that we're a little more familiar with, a central piece of how we change as human beings is through our habits, through the things that we choose to do over and over and over again in our life. There's a guy by the name of James K.A. Smith who wrote a brilliant book about all of this, everything we're discussing this morning, a few years back called You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. And you could probably sum up his entire book. I'm gonna save you from reading the whole book. You should totally read the book, but just in case you don't, here's the summary of the entire book. He says, the things we do, do things to us. The things we do, do things to us. There is a direct relationship, in other words, between repetition and formation. We become the people that we are largely based on the things that we choose to do over and over again. So let me just try to help you see this idea at work in another place in the scriptures. So think with me about a passage that probably a lot of us are familiar with, especially if we grew up in and around church. Think with me about Jesus's teachings on money and possessions from Matthew chapter six. So if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this line. Jesus says at one point, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now in context, what Jesus is doing in that passage is he's telling his people to invest more and more of their money and their resources in things of eternal significance. He uses the language of storing up treasure in heaven, consistently storing up money and resources in things of eternal significance. And the reason that he gives for why they should do that is that line that we just read, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So follow Jesus's logic in that passage. He is saying, if you want to see change in what your heart cares most about, you should change your habits in that direction first. If you want to see change in what your heart cares most about, you should change your habits. You should point your habits in that direction first. And as a result of changing your habits, in this example, as a result of investing in things of eternal significance, what you will find as you do that over and over again is that your heart will go with it. Your heart will go with it. Your heart often follows your habits, the things you do over and over again. Your habits, with the help of the Holy Spirit, change what you love and care about over time. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Quite often, the way that we change is through our habits. We become the types of people we are by the things that we choose to do over and over again. Is everybody following that so far? Now, something that is so important for you to realize about all of this is that this is happening, this process of transformation and change through your habits, this is happening in our life all of the time, whether we realize it or not. You are always becoming a certain type of person, and you are getting there largely through your habits. I wanna show you this from another passage that we find in Galatians chapter six. This is Paul writing to one of the early churches. He says this in verses seven through nine. We'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So sowing in that passage, the language of sowing is the language of repetition. When you sow seeds in a field, you are doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you're waiting for results. But here, Paul actually says that there are two types of sowing that you can do as a human being. You can sow to the spirit, or you can sow to the flesh. You can point your habits at pleasing your flesh, or you can point your habits at pleasing the spirit. This is Paul's way of saying that we are always participating in habits, and those habits are always shaping the types of persons that we are becoming. So you have habits right now in your life that are slowly transforming you into a certain type of person, for better or worse, right? We all want to change, and we all are currently changing in one direction or another. The question for all of us is not, are we being formed? The question for all of us is, what are we being formed into? Formation is not a spiritual thing as much as it's a human Thing. Every moment of our lives, everything we do over and over and over again is forming us into a certain type of person. For instance, if you wake up every morning and sit with the scriptures for a while to hear from God through them, if you do that every morning, you will over time become the type of person who wants to hear from God through the scriptures and who is shaped by them. On the other hand, if you wake up each morning and you spend 15 minutes scrolling through Instagram before you do anything else, if you do that every single day, you will eventually become the type of person who wants to spend 15 minutes on Instagram each and every day. If you spend your commute home from work each day praying through your anxieties from the day and handing them over to the Father day after day, you will eventually become the type of person who is less and less anxious and is more and more at peace. If you come home from work every single day and you turn on two hours of Netflix to numb your mind from your anxieties from the day, you will eventually become the type of person who needs to watch two hours of Netflix every day to cope with reality, and so on. I mean, this isn't rocket science, right? I don't think I'm saying anything revolutionary here. I just don't know that we think about it sometimes. I don't know that we think about the fact that the things we currently do over and over again are forming us in a particular direction. They have the incredible ability to do that, um, to put it in, in business terminology. Maybe you're familiar with this phrase. Uh, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're currently getting. That applies to business, but I think it also applies to our souls, right? If we're not content with who we've become, if we're not content with the level to which that we have become more like Jesus, chances are we need to look directly at our habits because our habits have gotten us to where we currently are. So the question is this, what type of person are we becoming? Are we becoming people that look more and more like Jesus? Or are we becoming people that look less and less like Jesus? In Paul's language from Galatians, are we sowing to the spirit or are we sowing to the flesh? Now, that Galatians passage, I think, also hits on a very important component to how this works. And it may even be a question that's in the back of your mind right now. Sometimes when we start talking about how we change through our habits, it makes some of us a little bit nervous. 
to talk about it in those terms. Because to some people, this makes it sound like we create change in our life rather than God creating the change in our life. And I really do understand that concern. Because at the end of the day, we believe here at City Church that God is the source of all lasting change in our hearts and in our lives. He's the source of all lasting change when it comes to becoming more like Jesus. But notice from our passage in Galatians 6, and I think this is really important to get, that Paul does not view God's power and our effort as competing forces in this passage. He actually views them as partners, In other words, we don't have to choose whether we want to try and change ourselves or whether we want God to change us. That is a false dichotomy according to Galatians chapter 6. So here's where I'm getting that from. At the beginning of that passage that we just read, Galatians 6, it says, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows. In other words, here's what Paul just said. If you think God is just going to magically create character change in you while you refuse to adjust any of your habits in that direction, Paul says that is like mocking God. You're asking God to do something for you that you are unwilling to do with him. And that's not how God works. That's not how character change works. That's not how holiness works. Rather, God invites us to take active participation with him in his endeavor to change us as human beings, to be more and more like him. Late author Jerry Bridges, who's written a couple of my all-time favorite books on following Jesus. If you're new to following Jesus in the room, I would love to recommend some of his books to you. They're just very, very accessible, very, very easy to read. But here's what he says in, in one of my favorite books from him. He says, the pursuit of holiness, and by that, he just means transformation. He means becoming more and more like Jesus. The pursuit of holiness is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life, but just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on on his own part. The pursuit of holiness, and I love this language, is a joint venture between God and the Christian. God's grace, in other words, and our effort are actually overlapping circles. There is a way to rely only on your own effort for change to a point that is unhealthy, to be sure. But there is also a way to rely only on God to change us and in the meanwhile neglect to participate in it ourselves, which is also unhealthy. Dallas Willard puts it this way, and we use this quote just about every year when we talk about this. Dallas Willard says it like this, grace, as in God's grace, is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. God's grace is not opposed to effort. I don't know where we got this idea within evangelicalism that God is somehow opposed to us putting forth effort to become more like him. Now to be sure, there's a way to forget God in all of that, right? And there's a way to become self-righteous in the process of doing that. And all of those are things we want to steer clear of. But that doesn't mean effort is not a part of becoming more and more like Jesus. Every mature follower of Jesus I know, every person who I look at and go, that person looks like Jesus to me, would tell you they put forth a great deal of effort to let God transform them over time. This is just how it works. 
So that's what we're after as followers of Jesus. We want to actually put forth some effort to join God in his efforts to grow grow and shape us and form us as human beings. And a big part of that happens through our habits. So in this series, each and every year, we take some time to explore different ways that we join God in all of this. And each year, we focus on one particular practice that accomplishes that in us. So through the years, Christians have called these spiritual disciplines. But to be honest, whether you call them disciplines or habits or practices or whatever else, the name doesn't really matter as much as what you are doing through them. These are just things that we do on repeat to help us become more like Jesus as a result. So in past years, during our formation series each January, we've covered things like prayer. We've covered things like reading the Bible and how to read the Bible well. And then last year, we covered the practice of rest. This year, we are going to practice, we're going to focus on the practice of mission. And I want to just give you a definition of mission, because I know this word gets thrown around uh, in Christianity all over the place, and sometimes we're not exactly clear on what is meant by the word. So let me just start off with a definition. We'll put it on the screen for you. By the word mission, all we mean here at City Church is demonstrating and articulating the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus. That's what we're talking about. When we use the word mission, that's what we're referring to. So kind of two parts there demonstrating the gospel to people that don't yet know Jesus and also articulating the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus. That's what we're talking about this year. That's what we're going to focus on over the next month and a half or so in our church family is mission. Now, that said, maybe to you, mission doesn't really feel like a spiritual discipline. And I'll say that sometimes mission doesn't get included in these kind of, you know, top 10 lists of spiritual discipline. So maybe you're thinking, yeah, I mean, mission is something we should be doing, but not necessarily something we should be doing in order to be changed by it ourselves, right? Like when we think about mission, we typically think of of participating in mission to benefit the other person, right? To benefit the person that doesn't yet know Jesus, not necessarily to benefit ourselves or to help us grow as a result. And that's understandable, but the truth is that I think it's actually both. I think mission should be done for the good of those who don't yet know Jesus, absolutely. And we should recognize that as we participate in God's mission, it's going to transform us personally in the process for the better. In fact, as our pastors were talking through this series, we were able to identify pretty quickly at least three specific ways that participating in mission transforms us and forms us into the image of Jesus over time. So feel free to write these down if they're helpful to you. Again, I don't know that this is anything revolutionary. It's just sort of three ways that we see mission changing us over time as we participate in it. First, mission helps you die to yourself. Mission helps you die to yourself. As Jesus says often in the Gospels, central to following Jesus is learning the art of denying yourself. But as any of us who have followed Jesus for very long, long at all, in fact, self is kind of our native language as human beings, isn't it? As in selfishness, we don't naturally gravitate towards denying ourselves as human beings. 
But that said, I think there is something about showing people Jesus, demonstrating and articulating the gospel to people that don't yet know Jesus, that almost requires, as a prerequisite, a certain level of dying to yourself. It it forces us to deny the self-centered parts of us pretty quickly. Our natural inclination, for example, is to always, and this is, man, this is a word to myself, probably more than anybody else in this room, our natural inclination as human beings is to be hyper-concerned about what other people think about us and how they are thinking about us and whether they want to be our friend. Uh, I was listening to a comedian the other day that said, uh, all of college, and no offense to you college students, this is actually all of us, it just especially happens in college. He said, all of college is an exercise in going, does everybody hate me or do I just need to take a nap? <laughs> and I think that's pretty accurate, right? And I, and I don't think it's exclusive to any of us that are in college. I think that's a lot of the story of our lives, right? We just tend to be so hyper-focused on what other people think about us and how they are thinking about us and what their opinions of us are. And that gives us tremendous anxiety, I think, about sharing the good news of Jesus with them because we're so concerned about how they might think of us as a result. In fact, we're going to talk in detail about all of that next Sunday as we go through this series. But here's the thing, sharing our faith with others requires caring more about the other person than we care about their opinion of us. It forces us to prioritize the other person's good over our comfort. And those are the very basics, the very building blocks of dying to yourself. Mission helps you die to yourself. The second one, I think mission also changes us by helping us fine-tune what we believe. It helps us fine-tune what we believe. There is something about specifically talking to other people about Jesus that I think forces us to think about our belief system critically when maybe we wouldn't have otherwise necessarily just by nature of what it is. So anybody who works in education will tell you that you you sometimes tend to study harder in order to teach something than you do just to learn it, right? You want to try to know the material backwards and forwards because you want to be able to field questions. You want to sound like you're intelligent, again, caring a lot about what other people think about us, right? You want to sound intelligent. You want to seem like you know your stuff. You tend to study harder and think more critically to teach something than you do just to learn it. And I think the same is often true about telling others about Jesus. It helps us fine-tune what we believe. It helps us settle into what the basics of our faith system actually are in such a way that we can communicate it clearly and with conviction. But you don't have to take my word for it on this. Here is the OG Billy Graham who knew a little something about sharing his faith with others. Here's what he said. Our faith becomes stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. So mission helps us fine-tune what we believe. And finally, number three, mission helps us rely on the Spirit. Mission helps us rely on the Spirit. We plan to get into this a lot throughout the series, specifically in week three, but there is hardly anything that prompts me to rely on the Spirit's presence and power and work quite like living on mission with him. When done well, when when living on mission well, it makes you constantly ask questions like, what is the spirit up to right now? 
Who is he drawing in close already? How do I persist in loving this person who is notoriously difficult for me to love? How do I speak in such a way that is filled with conviction and clarity, but also compassion at the same time? Mission is the Spirit's work, and we need the Spirit's help to participate in it. There is a reason that right after giving his disciples their final mission to, quote, go and make disciples in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus left them. He concluded that instruction with an incredible, very timely promise. He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. We do the Spirit's work, mission, by the Spirit's help. Mission helps us rely on the Spirit. So right there, I think, are at least three very clear ways that participating in the mission of Jesus helps to form us and transform us into the image of Jesus. And I'm just operating under the assumption that if you're in the room and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, that dying to yourself, fine-tuning what you believe, and relying on the Spirit are three things that you really want to grow in. If you don't want those things, we might ought to go back to square one, right? But Hopefully, those are things that all of us who follow Jesus want to grow in. So assuming that we want to grow in those things, mission is one very helpful way to labor to that end in our own hearts. It benefits us even as it benefits others along the way. That is what we're aiming to do throughout this series. So practically speaking... Uh, If you've been around for previous iterations, previous years of this formation series, you know that there are actually two components to it. So one is the teachings that we do here on Sundays. So each Sunday, me or another pastor, another person from our staff will get up here and teach from the scriptures on one aspect of what it means to live on mission, what it means to participate in God's mission. But that said, I I do just want to remind you of what we talked about just a bit earlier in the teaching. We said, I think somewhat repeatedly and emphatically, that knowledge alone is not enough to change us, right? So information alone doesn't lead to transformation. So in light of that, I do just want to point out that you can show up here every Sunday for the next five weeks and listen intently to everything that we tell you about God's mission. But if you only do that for the next five weeks... Do you think you will change very much as a result of that? Nope. You're still in the category of the man who built his house on the sand. You're still just hearing the words of Jesus through the scriptures. You're still in that category. If all you do is listen to these teachings, you will become a person who knows a lot about mission and yet is still not missional in your core. In order to change Again, you need to do something with what you know. You need to put it into practice. So to help us all do that, to help us all put this into practice throughout this series, we actually have a second component to this series appropriately called a practice guide. We didn't get very creative with the name at all. It just is what it is, right? A practice guide. It is called that because it helps you put what we talk about here on Sundays into practice. So we'll have these available for you to pick up next week. We actually plan to have them available this week, but COVID supply chain issues truly affects everything, including printing companies who are supposed to print the booklet. And so now we're printing the booklet and we'll have them for you next week. Um, 
But that's fine. This week's practice was not, it was kind of a, a precursor to everything else anyway. So no worries. You can actually get the whole thing online right now if you go to our website, citychurchnox.com. You can download it all there. And then we'll have free copies for you, physical copies, next week when you show up. But inside these booklets, it has a practice to participate in during each week of this series. We'll talk about each practice and how to do it here on Sunday so that you're not just flying blind with all of it. But each week, there is something for us to participate in together to ensure that we are, as Jesus says, putting these things into practice in our lives. So here's what we're attempting to do. Just all my cards on the table. Here's why we felt led to do this practice and why we wanted to do the practice guide with it. Um, If I know our crowd which I hope I do at this point. That's kind of one of my jobs as a pastor, right? If I know our crowd, I know that so many of you really do want to live on mission. Like you desire it. You want to participate in it. You want that to be a part of your daily life. You want to demonstrate Jesus to people in your life that don't know, that don't know him yet. You want to talk to them about Jesus and the gospel. But at the same time, you may not know exactly where to start. It it may just feel like this monumental sort of ethereal idea and you don't know exactly how to start. Like you're going like, do I just wait for them to ask the perfect question at the perfect time and launch into a monologue about Jesus and how they can be saved? Like, is that what we're talking about here? Like, do I just look for casual ways to like drop Jesus into conversations? I, I think some of us feel a little bit overwhelmed by just how conceptual the whole idea of living on mission is. We're in this place where we may want to do it, we want to live in that way, but it just feels like a monumental task. So this practice guide is basically designed to take that big concept and to break it down into some very tangible, very doable, very achievable steps. So on that note, let me just give you a fair warning. When you go look at this booklet online or when you get it next Sunday, It is possible that as you flip through the pages of it, some of the practices in the guide, or just the guide as a whole, may feel like a lot to you. It it might feel a bit uh, technical, for lack of a better word. You you may get the booklet next week and look through the practices and go, I don't, this feels very complicated to me. This feels too systematic, it feels too process-like. I want it to be more relational, and that's fine. This isn't required. We're not going to like check to see if you're all going through the booklet together. Like that's not what we're doing here. This is entirely optional. You don't have to do it if it doesn't feel right to you. Total freedom there. But I will say this. If you decide not to do the practice guide, to, to learn and take practical steps in how to live on mission, I would just make sure that it's not, I would just make sure that you're not participating in the practice guide because you already are living on mission regularly. If you don't already have a habit of living on mission in your life, maybe give the booklet a shot, right? It's better to try something than nothing. Even if it doesn't feel exactly like you want it to feel, it still could be incredibly helpful to you. Maybe you take the parts you like and don't use the other parts, whatever you want to do. But I would just encourage you, don't knock it till you try it, basically, right? So if you don't have a plan for how to engage people in your life with the gospel, I would say maybe give this one a shot. Give the the practice guide a shot. 
Now, all of that said, and thank you guys for being patient with me this morning, I want to just land here this morning. Very, very simple. I want to read you this passage that many of us have probably heard before from 1 Peter chapter 2. So Peter is speaking to followers of Jesus in the ancient world. He says this in verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And I want to just stop right there for a second. So these are all terms. Everything that Peter just said are, are terms that are rich in Old Testament history throughout the story of the Bible, describing these new identities that God has given to all who follow Jesus. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, all of these unbelievable things that Jesus has accomplished in and through his life, death, and resurrection. These are who we are as a result of what Jesus accomplished for us. We have an altogether new identity given to us by Jesus. And in the passage, it says that this new identity carries with it a new purpose. He says that these people have been given this new identity from Jesus that, continuing in the passage in verse 9, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, brothers, sisters in the room, this is why we have been rescued into God's family. This is why we have been brought from darkness into light, so that we might declare who Jesus is to the world around us. His glory, his worth, his beauty, his goodness, his grace. We have been given a new identity, yes, with a new purpose as a result, declaring, demonstrating, and articulating who Jesus is and what he's capable of to a world around us that desperately needs to hear it, whether they realize it or not. Living a life on mission that is precisely what we've been put on this earth to do. That's precisely what we've been rescued by Jesus in order to do. Living on mission. So let's get after it. Let me pray for us. Father, um, Thank you for sending your son on a mission for us. God, thank you that though you didn't have to, though we had gotten ourselves into the mess that we were in, you chose not to leave us there, but instead to send your son to rescue us out. I think of the words of, of Jesus where he says, just as the Father has sent me, so also, speaking to his disciples, I send you. We worship a sent Jesus and we are sent into the world on a mission. And so, God, maybe uh, what some of us need to, to 
rest in and, and realize and grasp with all of our being this morning is that we would not be here, we would not have this relationship with you unless you sent Jesus on a mission for us. God, any, any goodness, any character change, any growth, any transformation in us it is there because of you. And so my prayer is that realizing that and truly grasping that with our hearts would motivate us into a life of mission to those around us. God, as we've already prayed this morning, I pray that you would just give us new eyes maybe. You would help us change the way that we see the people around us in incredible sorts of ways, that you would motivate us towards them, that you would push us towards them out of care and compassion for, for them and, and out of worship for you. Um, and so God, our, our prayer is that you would make us and continue to make us into a missional church. A church that doesn't just exist to show up and have ministries that are designed for us and, and get our spiritual shot in the arm each week and, and go home and go about our lives as normal. But God, I, I pray that this right here on Sunday would become a rallying cry every single week to walk out of these doors and participate in the real ministry and demonstrating and articulating the good news to people that haven't yet heard it or don't yet understand it. So God, we, we need your Spirit's help as we've already sung, as we've already said today. We need your Spirit's help in us and through us to motivate us in that direction. And so God, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us and make us who you want us to be. Transform us more and more to the image of Jesus. God, we ask for all these things in your name. We know you're faithful and good to provide them. And so we trust that you will. Would you invite us to participate with you in that? It's in your name we pray. Amen.